to another episode of the Wrinkled Rabbit Podcast. As always, I'm Bill Borowski. I'm Edward Rebel. I'm Jason Snyder. And I'm Drew Erler. And this week we are talking about a pick of Drew's. It's American Animals. Uh, so let's see what, how we connected it to last week's movie. It's F for Fake. So Drew, tell me your original, completely on your own, found, uh, discovered Six Degrees of Separation. I'm just going to give you credit. Don't step on my toes there. Um, Rude. Uh, I got it. <laughs> last week we watched F for Fake. Directed by starring... Orson Welles. Orson Welles, of course, best known for directing the greatest American film of all time, Citizen Kane. Uh, Citizen Kane was written by Nikowitz. Can't remember his first name. What's his first name? Herman. I I, I think it gets Herman. Mankiewicz. Who is the subject of David Fincher's 2020 film, Mank? Mank stars Gary Oldman as Mank, and Gary Oldman is Commissioner Gordon in the Dark Knight trilogy. Wait. Yes. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. And I could do this. I'm almost there. <laughs> and Billy Keoghan. Barry. Barry. I said that. Oh, I thought you said Billy. My bad. I thought I'm an he idiot. Said Billy too. I'm a moron. I'm a stupid. <laughs> Maybe head. I did say Billy. I don't no, know. you said Billy. Billy. Barry Keoghan cameoed as the Joker in uh, the latest Batman film and B- Barry Keoghan is one of the stars of this week's film, American Animals. I'm so proud of you, Drew. Yeah. But why did you choose American Animals for us to talk about today? Well, as you said last week, Bill, um, wasn't quite as intense of a moonlight moment for me but when i saw it all the way back in 2018 it like blew my mind and i sort of had a moonlight moment with it like i just really really liked it and i thought it was one of the best movies of the year and beyond that i thought it was just one of like i thought it was like a possible game changer in in the way that it blended documentary with real life i feel like a lot of times fiction is much heavier on the on the documentary side than it is on the fiction side and so to see something that was way heavier on the fiction side and was throwing documentary in as kind of like a like a stylistic effect rather than actually trying to make a true documentary i just that was like amazing and so i hadn't watched it since i had that amazing experience with it and i definitely wanted to revisit it and talk about it today I think everyone's seen it, so it's kind of like a rewatch situation for us. But um, what did everyone think about it this time around? I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a super fun watch. Uh, I remember having a lot of fun with it in the theater, and then just being like, I don't see how it's like this game changer. I mean, it's a really well done kind of choice in terms of the storytelling aspect of it. But I did not think it was nearly the game changer as Drew thought it was. Um, And I still think it's an extraordinarily well-made, fun heist movie. And I think the aspect of adding the real-life people kind of as talking heads throughout the entire movie is a very interesting choice. And I think it works really well. I definitely would like to kind of see 
different stories kind of maybe take advantage of that because I think it's a different it adds a bit of depth to I mean based on true stories or like generic biopics are pretty by the numbers and the, it takes a genre that uh, that's usually very by the numbers and adds a little flavor to it um, it also helps that the movie itself is just a blast to watch and the cast is just amazing Evan Peters and Barry Keoghan I think are some of the best young actors working today especially Barry Keoghan like the, every and time Evan I Peters. see him in something he blows me away like I saw Banshees of Inishirin like a week ago fantastic in that but yeah no it, it was a great watch I'm a sucker for heist movies in general so this was just a great watch super well directed stacked awesome cast uh I for- completely forgot Ann Dowd was in it, and Ann Dowd is one of those actors who she shows up in literally anything and makes the movie better, even if it's like the most bit part, which I remember when this first started, I was like, wait, she's just a librarian, and then I remembered how she's like kind of the key to the heist, and like that's why you get Ann Dowd, because like her, her like just pleading for help, basically, that really like, you get an actor of that caliber to really sell that. Um, so it was awesome to see her in it, and yeah, no, it was it was a joy to revisit, and I had a blast with it. Uh, yeah, I remember being, I think, probably the same feeling as you, Drew, just like blown away when I first saw it. Um, because really, you don't see, you you don't see uh, documentaries put in this style where, like you said, Drew, it's fiction. Um, but the fiction is being it's being written by fact um and that's why you have the documentary format in the background you have the characters trying to tell the story and then recorrect the story and redirectionalize it and send it off in wayward you know it's just like there you have the the fictionalized story that you're trying to follow but then you have the real life contextualization that's kind of like in the back of your head the whole time. And there are a few moments in there, uh, for example, when they first conceive the heist, they like flip back and forth. They're like, I think he told me at like a party about it. I just remember it was cold. Um, and then the other guy goes, I think he told me about it in a car. Uh, I definitely told him about it while we were driving. It was definitely cold though. And so there are, like, little details that line up. I just imagine, like, the way that the directors went into it with the interview process and, like, trying to analyze the characters themselves while trying to process what the actual story was. And it just seems like such a fascinating process. Like, the most hands-on, like, biopic, I guess, uh, but still making it a documentary it's just so interesting to me, and uh, I'm really glad that we got to go back to it. Yeah, it was a fascinating blend, um, for sure. And I know watching it the second time, there were a lot of like smaller things I felt like were funny, like uh, tie-ins and whatnot, things that just you know you don't recognize the first time around. Um, there was one instance right before uh, they were going to try and pull off the heist the first time, and they're all dressed as old people. And Spencer was sort of just uh, in the back of a car, like in his own head. And he was like, oh, I feel I feel like I'm going to be sick. 
Um, and Chaz, who's driving, was like, hey, well, you better not throw up in my car. And then later on, you do see Warren throw up in the car. So I thought that was just like funny, <laughs> funny little nod. But then there's bigger things, as Bill, you mentioned with the librarian. Um, honestly, that was like really the only thing, aside from just like the format, that was the only real like, I guess, like story detail that I vividly remembered from this movie um, to this point was the way that the how horrifying that like librarian scene was in the moment and especially the amount of buildup i forgot the amount of buildup that they had um where you have the imagined scene where it's like where it's like a movie where there's the music in the background and they're just like so smooth with all their movements they're like oh zip nah, she sits down she's nighty night and um how much it was weighing on them beforehand in terms of like how they're going to settle the situation and how just um, messy it turns out to be. Um, and then other things too, like the fact that Spencer in that same car scene as they're driving by, he sees the older version of himself as they're driving by. There's just so many moments like that that I didn't notice the first time around that um, I feel like add a lot to add a lot to the experience that I was definitely glad to um, have rewatched it. But I still, I do find myself wrestling with a lot of the, the questions as if this was the best movie to do it with, um, how much you can repeat this kind of formula. I think one of the big things after we watched it was, uh, Bill, you said that like this wasn't, this is something that has been done in other movies. Is that correct? Do I remember? Is that right? Uh, it, at least to my knowledge, it's uh, the real, like, basically being, having it be more of a narrative kind of true story biopic using real life people that I haven't seen, at least to my knowledge. Okay. Uh, but the way I think about it is that it's, 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 they're using what documentaries have used for years upon years, which is recreation. Like, I mean, Earl Morris did this uh, famously in The Thin Blue Line, um, but using it with, like, Hollywood actors to this extent, I think might be, like, new, but definitely, I mean, it's it's a much more Hollywoodized version of it, which I think is new. Um, well, keep in mind that in a way, none of the actors were, like, Hollywood caliber at the time. Like yeah, I mean now they yeah. are, but it, you're getting it, it's much more of like a um, I, I don't want to call it a biopic, but it's much more of a biopic that happens to be have re the real people in it rather than a documentary that has more recreations. That like the percentage has kind of flipped. If that makes, yeah. gotcha. if, if that makes yeah. any sense. I think that's the best way to it's it's more it's like instead of seventy thirty documentary it's 70-30 fiction documentary. Um, I think the best comparison or analog it has is the Thin Blue Line, just because there's an element in the Thin Blue Line where you have, like, your... They have, like, the... of what happens, or, like, the reenactment of what happens, and then as the talking heads provide more information, the reenactment changes, and, like, more details are added... So that kind of like dynamic reenactment where like what the people say or their their recollections kind of impact what we're seeing 
is like what we see here, but it's like way dialed up. Um, so it's almost like something like the thin blue line is like a proof of concept for what this movie then takes all the way to all the way to its its natural conclusion, I guess. Something else that I actually thought was really funny about this too was um, the first bit because again, like this movie's obviously playing on the whole like traditional documentary versus like document like putting into a narrative that kind of thing, um, and I just loved how uh, what do you want to call like tropey the the first like bit of this was, um, which I feel like was intentional. Like you go through all of the interviews and sort of like this montage way you have the one guy who you know my, my parents used to love watching all these like crime shows or like documentaries whatever on tv so i feel like this type of formula is like ingrained in my brain and just whenever the guy came up and he was like oh gee i never would have seen it coming these were the nicest boys like i just something about that was really funny to me um and sort of that like pan around the room with the guy sitting on the bed and you can't really make out their face, but you can make it out just enough reminded me of those like documentary reenactments that, you know, are very traditional where they got somebody who kind of looks like the person and they're just like trying to um, engage you a little more by having this more like cinematic scene. Um, mm. But that's all stuff that we see in like more traditional documentaries. And then after that bit, it really, um, dives into like completely new waters. Um, and I don't know. I, I thought that was like a really like funny and like cool way to start it off by having like a lot of traditional documentary tropes and then going to something completely, completely different. Yeah. Um, I, I really feel like you hit the nail on the head there. Um, they bring you in really well to set it up as like, oh, we're going to tell you a true story. Uh, but also here's a movie. Um, yeah. And uh, you made a really good point about with some documentaries trying to create like these cinematic moments to pull you in. And I want to bring up a film that is not particularly loved, but I enjoy it for the stupidity of it. Pain and Gain. Uh, it's a crime story, true crime story. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, um, Michael Bay. Yeah, Michael Bay film. I didn't want to say his name, but <laughs> <clears throat> anyways, uh, basically there are a bunch of idiots trying to pull off a crime and through the medium of film, you're able to like see how fucking stupid they are. Um, and I just love the fact that you can see without any filter how dumb they are to try and pull off something this idiotic and uh i feel in the same way american animals executes a similar thing but on a much better level um and i think it might be in in part to the documentary style definitely in part to the acting definitely in part to you know what it's just a better movie all around <laughs> Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, just the idea of like a cautionary tale, just watching people be stupid. Um, and I feel like if you were to 
to try and like put it in a document like full-on documentary format you would see this like highly cinematic it would be like the dance the uh the dance heist that they pull off pulled off where it was like oh it's all hollywood and you know we're dancing through it and it's going all flowers and butterflies and rainbows but by actually making it a movie and actually being able to see the characters and the things that they're going through, the emotions they're experiencing, I feel like it actually becomes like a worthwhile tale to tell. Um, who the fuck wants to hear about a uh, failed heist in Transylvania, uh, Kentucky, you know, or Lexington, Kentucky at Transylvania University? Who wants to fucking hear about that? But if you can make it about a bunch of, um, you know, lost in their ways, uh, college students who are trying to make more of their life, but they're just not thinking things through. That's a much more interesting story, and I feel like the the movie aspect of it really heightens the movie in that movie aspect heightens the movie in that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they really made it a movie by making it a movie. You know, this is like a movie that you need to go into the film and see the theater experience, you know. Ah. This movie, it's such a movie, this movie. <laughs> um, well, no, it's interesting what you're saying, though, that like, rather than the documentary aspect making it more truthful, it's almost like the film aspect is what makes it more truthful. Because you just have the people post-prison, after the fact, describing what happened. It has like a like a recollection anecdote quality to it, but you don't get the raw emotion that's like the centerpiece of this movie. I think that like like you were saying Edward, the way that they assault the librarian and like their emotions and the adrenaline and the horror that they experience during the actual heist is like more important than the heist itself. And you wouldn't get that if it was just them talking about it because they probably wouldn't, you know, betray the fact. I feel like you almost need the third parties of the actors to kind of tease more truth out of it and like present to the people the difficult things that maybe they don't even want to confront in retelling the story. Yeah, I mean, you think about the fact that uh, all their stories are slightly different. They're trying to suppress something. Um, yeah, but it's the actor's job, the director's job, the writer's job to go in there and, you know, talk as like a collective team. What do we think actually happened? How are we going to make this truthful to what we think they're trying to tell? Um, and it just becomes such a, like such a unit for creativity. Uh, it just seems like such an incredible project to be a part of. Yeah, I find myself I found myself thinking at the end though that the four like the actual four guys might have felt a little bit shafted, especially like Warren and the guy yeah. who wanted to become a writer. Like they add at the end, he's like he's trying to be a writer and then they zoom in on the table his manuscript for American Animals as if to rub it in his face that he's not going to be able to tell this story cuz it was told for him. And then Warren is going to film school and it's like, this is probably a story he would want to tell as a filmmaker, 
But nope, the movie was made, Warren. <laughs> yeah. In it, we threw you a bone. Should have gone the jail for. <laughs> I don't know. It was just felt. It felt really weird, and I didn't remember that at the end. Mm-hmm. I also had no idea that the dude. I mean, they don't even tease. I mean, he, I think he wants to be like an FBI agent because he gives like a reason of like, oh, FBI and something else are the only two jobs that hire straight out of college, and then it's like he's a writer, um, which. That's not a flaw in the movie uh, by any means. I think it's the Eric, but it was just definitely like, oh, he's a writer now. Cool. Did not didn't didn't see that from him. That that wasn't like an aspect of his character that was really uh, highlighted because he was like, oh, we gotta get him because he's like learning to be an FBI agent and like figure out how to solve these crimes. So having him help us commit the crime, he'll think like the police do. Um, so narratively you don't really need to highlight that but that was definitely like when they were showing the title cards I was like oh he's a writer cool awesome but definitely I thought like oh the American Animals uh, memoir I was like oh they even took the title from him sorry man <laughs> yeah like imagine that's actually the manuscript and and they like saw it and they're like huh that's kind of a good idea <laughs> like, well I wonder if maybe he uh I mean, he he might have sold part of the story to them, you know, gotten something out of it. But I definitely did feel the uh, the shafting of the four men, uh, especially with Warren. Um, one of his early talking heads, he's like, "Hey, I'm Warren. Here's my dinosaur tattoo. It's trying to reach up at the UFO." Uh, and then in the background, you have that like tuba music. It's like bump. Boom, 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 boom. It's just like dirty. making him look like a fool, and I really <laughs> felt bad about that. Yeah, and he luckily kind of gets more depth as the movie goes on, or at least they don't treat him like the idiot. But yeah. his introduction, they definitely are like, look at the idiot that started the whole thing. He's not very <laughs> smart. And even the background they chose for him, I thought he was still in prison. Me too. Because it was like a break. Yeah background i'm like oh so you made him really look like like the scum of all four of them yeah it's really funny thinking about like how detailed the background like you have um spencer's is like his artist studio uh eric is like his writer's studio chaz is like locker room he works out (laughs) warren gets like a brick wall (laughs) with like a elementary school plastic chair in the back yeah. i got a rock yeah exactly <laughs> um like if he's gonna be a filmmaker like send him around some cameras or like some like spotlight lighting or do the traditional like i don't know interviewee thing in most documentaries where the it's all around a black background and there are, you do like three-point lighting like i don't know it, it was just a weird choice where it was like why why do you make him look like he's in a prison he should have spoke up if he's a filmmaker he should have made that look better for himself that's on him actually <laughs> not a real filmmaker he I know you're making the movie but I want to just put my two cents in here really quick like even if they just shifted the camera like just like there you go you see like there was a like, little action sign or like a, a film reel I, I think was there I was just like why, why did they choose a brick wall? Because every other person's, like, interview we shot, it has a much more detailed and in-depth, like, it, it, the, their shots have depth, and then uh, Burns just doesn't. It's just a wall. 
and I feel like not to like shit talk the filmmakers, but like the first rule of like interview uh, documentaries, if you're going to have this person be in an interview and just keep cutting back to them, choose something that's more dynamic than just a wall. But then again, this guy's an actual documentary filmmaker, so I don't want to like step on toes, but it definitely felt weird where I was like, there's got to be like a reason for that. I don't know. Well, maybe he was trying to make the point of like, you are the one who fucked everyone over. It was your ambition, uh, your charisma, and your stupidity that got everyone in trouble. True. Um, yeah. Or just to kind of present him as the idiot and then slowly give him more depth as the time goes on where you're like, yeah. oh. And I mean, well, okay. pre- presenting him as like a flat wall, you know, as opposed to, you know, we've got tools and books in the background. There's a character. They do stuff. Look at their room. Um, I feel like maybe presenting him as like a f- flat brick wall and then building up from there, honestly, might might work. Yeah. I don't know if this is what you were what you were saying. Uh, I don't think the like view Warren as the like wrongdoer, the person who like the ringleader. I don't. Yeah, I don't put. I yeah, don't put he blame says solely on his <laughs> on his shoulders. I think he liked to see himself as the the ringleader. It was more like he was he like got transfixed on this thing and he just wanted to be able to do it. But all of the all of the kindling, so to speak, provided by Spencer and and Eric and Chaz to a lesser degree. I actually don't really know I don't really know. I'm not totally clear on what Chaz contributed or, like, why he stuck with it for so long. I feel like they developed him the least, and I would have liked to see more because it was interesting that he was involved. I think that Spencer and Eric, like, provided all this, like, structure and ideas and framework. Um, Warren just happened to be the spark that put it over the edge. But that's just kind of who he was the whole time, and, and you can't really blame him when everyone around him was kind of enabling him the whole way and like and like yeah does that make sense Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because early on you have him uh go into an old meat locker that he used to work at and he's trying to you know lift some uh some shit but yeah you've got uh what spencer drawing up the plans You've got Eric coming up with, oh, no, we can't do it at night. We have to do it during the day so we can get in. And, you know, they're they're all giving ideas to further the plan. So you really have to wonder who is the one pushing it forward. Uh, Because, I mean, they're all doing something to to move it along. Like growing up, you have these situations where like you're joking around, you're like you're messing around, you're making jokes, but then you're like, wait, is this person like serious right now? And so you're like pushing it, but it's like that whole like I'm making a joke unless, unless no 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 I'm kidding. Unless what if we like, kissed under the stars? Uh, uh, I'm kidding. Exactly, exactly <laughs> that. It's like that. I don't know that like social like implicit game that you're playing sometimes where no one wants to say it explicitly. I just think is LARPing the whole time. Like, 
he just like thinking about it as like <laughs> it's inspiring to him but he never actually wanted to do it wait guys i thought we were supposed to be dressing as elves to the highest uh oh my bad i'll put my sword back yeah he ends up just scoping out on the roof with a pair of binoculars but then eric eric who doesn't want anything to do with the whole librarian situation ends up having to take part in it and he actually is complicit. Like, he does something to, uh, what's the fucking word, uh, detain, uh... Neutralize. Tie up her. Um, yeah, like, he, he's, he does something, eventually, and, you know, I, I feel like, like you were saying, Drew, with that game of, like, oh, how, how far do you want to take this? How, where are we going with this? I don't think Eric wanted to go all the way initially. I think he just got caught up with it. Then in the moment, he was like, oh, fuck, we're here. We, we, we got to keep going, you know. And I feel like a lot of them ended yeah. up in that situation where they were like, I don't want to keep going, but we're here. We have to. Well, it's the it's the sunk cost where, like, I was thinking, like, how, e- like, how easy would it be to just call it off, you know? But then I was thinking about, Spent five hundred dollars getting connected with the with the the guy to buy the painting. They they bought a whole car as a getaway car. Bought the costumes. They've spent hours plant like. So it's a lot to walk away from, and then you have a moment where you, you know, assault the librarian. And it's like now you have to do it. You can't. There's no like saying sorry. There's no undoing. Um, I love the, like, the tagline of this movie on Letterboxd is you don't know where the line is until you cross it. And they talk a little bit about, like, the idea of there being a line, um, in the movie. And I think it's so interesting the way that the movie, like, hangs out in that, in that space of, like, making things happen for yourself. I don't know, like your own ability to make choices, causing your your undoing. I don't know. It's really it's really weird and really interesting. Yeah, I think they make a few remarks about the fact that like there are mul- like there are multiple lines to cross or whatever. Um, but once you cross a line, you've pushed the line back to that point essentially. Um, and so, like you said, assaulting someone and you know, the librarian, what they did to her, at that point, you can't go back. Like, you have to keep going forward. Um, And I feel like that applies to so many things in life. I imagine for people who have committed murder uh, accidentally or on purpose, that's just a a threshold that they have crossed. Um, They they could do it again, um, maybe with less remorse, possibly. Um, Halloween ends the sequel. <laughs> not well. Not to compare this to something that's totally not even in the same ballpark, but I got a little bit of the same vibe from the the recent miniseries of. You like, say Dahmer? Dahmer. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna bring that up. <laughs> not even close to the same thing, obviously, but yeah. Um, like the whole idea that he was like a social outcast and then once he killed his first person and like he continued killing and like there's that idea that 
there's no becoming normal again when he like briefly dates the deaf person um has a little bit of a, a taste of what it's like to be normal, but you're thinking the whole time that like he has to keep everything he's done and who he is a secret if he wants to remain normal. Like there's no there's no rejoining society when you have that huge of a skeleton in your closet. You know, you can't yeah. just like be who you are. And so he had to just you know he's like this is the decision that I made long ago. I just have to continue down this path because I started down this path. It's interesting seeing it on like a smaller scale because I think that's something that we all deal with in like making choices and deciding who we're going to be. There's like if you feel that something you have done is wrong, you feel like you have to hide it in order to communicate, fit in, socialize with everyone else. Um and that definitely is present in Dahmer definitely present in American animals like that whole sequence where they're like all dissociating right before they get arrested right after the heist um they all know that they did something wrong they all know they're probably gonna go to jail and they're alone like they're there's things going on around them but they're completely alone they're they're in their own head about how do I keep this in? How do I not slip up and mention this to someone, you know? Yeah, I, f- I forgot about that scene too, um, or that like sequence, because that was honestly like, a fantastic one. It felt like they were all just like kind of sleepwalking, waiting for waiting for their sentence to come and like waiting for it all to finally unravel. But that's got to be like a weird couple days for them to just reflect on as people too, because um, it probably just like all blurred together and I, that was one of those moments too um kind of you're talking about where at that point they've completely crossed the line but they just don't know where to go after that you know because the plan is done too like there's nothing there's no like next step beyond that they're just like fucked and waiting for something to happen um which is funny because that was the whole reason why they did it in the first place is because they said like well something's not just gonna happen you know like we have to make it happen and then they just sort of resign themselves back to that again in the end. Yeah. They brought the real librarian in, like, for an interview at the very end. I found myself wishing that, like, she had gotten more than just a couple words in. But I also knew that they had to kind of save it at, to the end for the effect. Um, but she sums it up the best when she says, like, these were people who, or, like, these guys were too ignorant something to like work in make a big change in their life so they thought they could just game it do it easily by just you know doing something awful they ended up like really hurting people and and it was like a a hubris or um i can't remember exactly the word that she used to she said selfish yeah selfish mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm totally with you, Drew. Um, I I definitely kept waiting for the librarian to pop up because I remember there being an interview with the librarian, and I totally get why you saved that interview for the impact. But I I just there were points where I just kept waiting. I I, I wanted a little bit more from the real life people, but I understand why you kind of hold back off on it because it's much more of a narrative fictional piece 
so you don't want it to have it lean too much more into a documentary. Um, yeah. But but I definitely would have liked to, like... I'm, I mean, interviews are usually, like, so fucking long for documentaries and these kinds of things. So I definitely would have liked to have, like... I don't know if there's, like, a special feature on a Blu-ray where it's, like, you have, like, more of the interviews just to kind of get more of the, like, real-life perspective on it. But also you could just, like... I'm sure there are multiple interviews from, like, news outlets and stuff with actual people since this thing happened, so... Especially since they were they were probably promoting the movie when it came out, so... Yeah. Which, also, I completely forgot that this was a movie pass movie. Like, it's, like, one of the only few movie pass movies alongside Gotti <laughs> that, like... Yeah, I think it's those two. When that popped up, yeah. So when that popped up, I was like, "Oh, one banger, one flop." That's one of the things that this movie like a cultural object in my in my. It's like a piece of history. The fact that it's one of the two movies produced by MoviePass before they went under, like that was the moment. And I was like, "Okay, MoviePass is getting a little big for their britches here." Like they're not even profitable on their on their movie <laughs> subscription model, and now they're trying to make movies too. I'm like, I don't know what they're trying to do here, but and then send everyone to see their movie for free. Real quick, I want to go back to the sequence that you mentioned, Edward, or I guess that we all talked about, um, where post heist to arrest, they're just like kind of in the zone. I talked about it because you brought it up, so you give yourself a pat on the back here. Oh, okay. Pat, pat, pat. Thank you, Jason. Um, <laughs> anyways. Oh, yes. Um, during that whole sequence, something that I noticed was uh, pretty much everyone around them or, like, their surroundings are completely in, like, stripes. Either straight-up stripes or, like, plaid. Mm. Um, or there's, like, black and white around them. Interesting. Uh, and so, when I was watching it, I just could imagine, you know, they're constantly thinking, I'm going to jail, I'm going to jail, I'm going to jail, I'm going to jail. Um, and to have that in, in the back of your head while you're trying to go about your life has to be, like, crippling. Just debilitating, you know. This watch, I thought it might have been present throughout the whole movie. I thought they might have put uh, a lot of plaid on um, on Warren. Yeah, I was trying to figure out like what exactly the word you used earlier, Jason, was lonely. It's super interesting, like thinking about that particular flavor of loneliness. Not like I don't have anyone physically nearby me, but it's like I know this thing about myself, and I can't share it with anyone. So everyone who interacts with me isn't interacting with me truly like, like I'm lonely in that, in that sense. Like there's something I can't tell other people about. I can't share with other people. It's, it's like you're alone in trying to deal with that and trying to carry that weight. Um, and that sequence now that we've, it's kind of strange that we've talked about it so much because I didn't really think about it after the. I think it's, for me, it was just kind of the come down from the heist scene, but it is really kind of well done the way that it sits in that like particular brand of loneliness and expresses it in, in such a clear way. I think about like the scene with Barry Kyogen, like sitting with his family at his dad's birthday 
And when you, when you put yourself in his shoes, it's like really sad. I don't know. Like thinking about the pit in your stomach, like how awful you would feel all the time. I was just thinking when the police barged in on him, what a relief he must have thought that was to like be caught. I don't have to pretend this didn't happen anymore. I can just like atone at this point or begin that process. Do we want to do letterbox? Is there a letterbox review or? Um, I can read this one and for fun, I can also read my, my review. This person's favorite movies are Whiplash, Birdman, Unbreakable, and Columbus. Oh, also, I should probably introduce the segment. Um, Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's a, it's a segment called, you you know the thing. Listen, you little wiseacre. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's nothing you can do about it. Well, yeah, we pick a letterbox review, we read it, it gives us the flip side, uh, up, up the perspective, and Drew's going to continue his uh, reading of this two-star review from this guy or lady or yeah. what have you. Like yeah. I said, they gave Go American Animals two stars, and they said this about it. For a heist film, this was really boring and uninteresting. I think the biggest problem is this desperate, meddling need to docu-style the entire film. If that was the intention, why not just make the entire thing into an actual docu-series? I guarantee it wouldn't only have worked better for the story itself, but also allowed for the opportunity to carefully and explicitly relay the proper information and facts. These immediate cuts to the real people commenting on what is literally happening on screen right now is so frustrating. I was really disappointed, mainly because a lot of people really liked the film, and it being a heist film starring one of my favorite performers in Barry Keoghan got me really excited. It was unfortunate for me to end up feeling heavily underwhelmed. The film also feels pretentious at certain points. Multiple instances of hinting at a deeper message or inconspicuous allegory to what ultimately is just another shallow heist film. In all honesty, it's crazy how an incident like this occurred in real life. But at the same time, this in real life factor um, is a detriment to the overall storytelling capabilities. Uh, oh my god, that sentence just doesn't make sense. <laughs> this is your review. Uh, to be frank, the story just isn't that intriguing. And it doesn't help knowing that not even the screenplay is that well polished. Because of constantly moving back and forth between the perspectives and the opinions of the real life people to the exaggerated film version, the actual characters in the film lack much needed depth. The stakes are high, that is true, but I barely felt it. It speaks a lot about the messy direction. The whole thing feels very lackluster, especially when you have the talents of Evan Peters or Barry Keoghan. Um, I, this review doesn't really make sense. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like, guy. I think they just missed the point. Um, well, I, here's the thing. I don't like that. I keep seeing everyone call it a heist film. I don't yeah. think this is a heist film. This is a film it's about not. a bunch of misled kids who are disillusioned by what the American dream or whatever the fuck kind of money scheme America is supposed to be. You know, they, they want to make money and they're, they want to make it fast and they make a terrible decision. It's not a heist film. Uh, they're just dumb. They're just stupid. 
That's what it's about. <laughs> yeah, there's like a lot of layers to complexity that this person's just looking over. Um, so, anyway. We'll read a review where someone really knew what was going on. Um, this is my review when I gave the movie... I gave it four and a half stars last time I... What, this recent watch. I gave it five stars the first time I watched it. Back in June 26th, 2018. And this is what I said about the film. Billy, Jason, Edward, this is a movie that is shaped before our eyes. The screenplay is crafted by the people involved. The writer only transcribing, erasing, and rewriting. The result is, I think, I hope, what I have been looking for. This film is a particle accelerator containing art and commerce. While the two elements have previously been repelled from one another, the incorporation of the messiness of attempting to reconcile these two things into the work itself birthed something that I haven't seen and something that I think is extraordinary. American Animals is a show-stopping and, above all, surprising movie that may have come out of nowhere and shifted how we ought to think about documentary, adaptation, and the extent to which our being is defined by what we do. Please watch this movie and tell me if I'm overthinking this, but we may have found a silent game-changer. If this movie hits the right eyes, its sensibilities could turn everything on its head. You came in real strong. You cooled off in the middle, and I was like, hell yeah. And then, uh... You really ended it strong, too. But I, I genuinely don't disagree with a lot of what you said. Um, I do feel like it's uh, it's something that should be considered for documentarians moving forward. I think it's an interesting thing. It's not so much documentary, but I can't remember which of us brought it up. I think it was you, Jason, who brought up like the idea of this being kind of like a biopic, but like with documentary thrown into it because i think this is something that biopics could benefit from kind of acknowledging yeah. the fact that they're crafting a narrative out of what's just like a sequence of events basically because that's i think what tires people out about biopics is they like have to form it into like the oh this is the person becoming who they are hero's journey whatever um and if you were honest about the fact that you're like changing some facts or like accentuating things like the latest weird Al biopic kind of does um, yeah or biopics like that yeah you end up with something that's a more satisfying product because it's more true to like the artist's vision than it is just like oh this is life whatever yeah, I, I definitely think, I mean, we, we're kind of getting so many biopics nowadays, it would be cool if, like, if the person was still alive, you kind of have them intercut where it's, like, this grand thing, and then we're like, it wasn't that dramatic, but okay, I'll, let's, <laughs> let's go with it, why not? Um, like, I keep thinking of, like, what if, like, Freddie Mercury was still alive for the most by-the-numbers by biopic of all time? Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. I, it definitely would have been a much more interesting movie if Freddie Mercury himself was actually in it. That's for sure. Just a lot of what the fucks. <laughs> yeah. I think that they can't make documentary or biopics about people when they're alive because it would like break your brain to 
to see your life as a movie and have it be like that flat. But also the problem with like documentaries waiting for them to be dead is that the family, I mean, it makes sense that the family owns the rights to the estate and everything, but more likely than not, the version you're going to get is a much more sanitized kind of like glorified version that's not really true to the person or what they actually did. In the case of Eddie Mercury, where or not Eddie Mercury, Freddie Mercury, where it was much more sanitized, and like I know that originally the plan for Bohemian Rhapsody was that it was going to be a very true to the like a hard R like exploration of what Freddie Mercury was actually like. But since Queen was kind of responsible for the rights of the movie, they're like, yeah, let's let's not do that. Let's have it be more about the band, you know, the band itself. Uh, which there's nothing wrong about that, but it definitely would have been a much more interesting movie if, like, at the time, I believe Sasha Baron Conan was going to be starring as Freddie Mercury, and I think he was going to write it as well. Oh, that, shit. I think, one, he looks <laughs> like he could probably, he definitely could have pulled off Freddie Mercury, but also when you know Sasha Baron Cohen, that man is no holds barred, he does not give a fuck. So, you know he definitely would have had much... Uh, it would have been a much more interesting movie, to say the least. I th- I think the difference between something like Rocket Man and American Animals is the celebrity aspect. Um, I feel like with a celebrity, if you want to make a biopic about them and they're still alive, it's just going to be a jerk-off sesh. It's just going to be, <laughs> hey, how fucking great am I? What a fucking great life I led, huh? Don't you wish you were me? You motherfuckers. Little bitches. But uh, American Animals, it's like, you know, it's a true life, lesson learned experience where the people are not famous. They're not extraordinary, um, but they're alive. So why not make like a like a down to earth story about it? So I feel like with down-to-earth stories where it's about genuine people, it might work in this situation where you're like going back and forth between an interview and real life, or fuck, not real life, but interview and fictionalized life. Um, But when you're doing a celebrity, it's just like, oh, fuck that. No, I don't look good there. Make me look better. Oh, that's better. Yeah, I, I was great in that situation. Perfect. Good. Yeah. You know. Actually, if they did like a Weird Al situation where they were kind of self-aware in the fact that (laughs) the idea of the filmmakers trying to make a like a very true to life story and the interview is like the celebrity purposely trying to make it more sanitized and better about themselves, where it's more of a comedy that actually sounds really fucking funny. I wanted to ask you guys about the title because I I'm just curious about it. Do you guys have any thoughts? Well, didn't the title come from that section at the very, very beginning of the movie from, from Darwin's? Darwin. No, not, yeah, yeah, Darwin's book? Yeah, and I, I wonder because, um, you know, the entire book that they're trying to steal is illustrations of animals. And what was the quote? It was something about the American animals have all receded into, oh, the, ca- into the caves of Kentucky. such a good quote. Yeah, it's like it's like they descend into the caves and and adapt and become like different. Sort of how they descend and 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 become darker versions of themselves or whatever. Yeah, 
I wonder if the metaphor of the cave in the movie sense is trying to say, like, they, as they descended further, you know, the light at the start of the tunnel is gone further, you know, and they see less around them and they're less aware of, like, what what is appropriate behavior and where they should stop when they should go back until they're too far in. Maybe something like that. I think there's a definite, like comment on masculinity happening throughout the whole movie and we didn't talk about it that much on this podcast but it's something that i think about i've thought about both times i've watched the movie um it's a common like alpha male argument that's made that like men are animals and we've been castrated by our society and it's something that warren kind of alludes to in the scene where um he's talking to to spencer while he's working at the supermarket where he's like, we're supposed to be hunter gatherers. And instead we eat food out of packages and, and we've been castrated by society or whatever. (laughs) And so it's like this want to be animals, American animals. But then once they do it, they're like confronted with their, their, image of like what what it truly means to do what they wanted and the pain that it causes and you know then they they realize the you know the consequences of of being that way or the things that you have to kind of turn away from morals values all that stuff to to be that way uh final thoughts time i'll go first uh american animals uh this is a movie that's kind of been in the back of my head just because I remember Drew's reaction to it and I remember (laughs) it being very memorable and also him kind of like kind of losing it when Edward and I just kind of liked it I definitely like it more than I did originally I just kind of enjoyed it when I first saw it mainly because I probably went in with like the thoughts of this movie being this groundbreaking game-changing movie but no, I, I really enjoyed it. It was a fantastic watch. I definitely want to rewatch it at some point. Um, it's definitely going to go into that kind of rotation of like every few years. It's definitely going to be one to kind of revisit. And it's also just nice seeing to, uh, like, I, I know we keep mentioning Barry Keoghan and Evan Peters, but uh, they both of them have had relatively big years this year. And it's kind of nice going back to a movie where that's smaller, that they're kind of like cut their teeth a bit more i know evan peters has been around a long time like i've seen him in like since like american horror story and the x-men and all that so it's kind of cool seeing these guys get like a bit more attention and like seeing a movie where they were a bit more of the underdogs rather than like one of the big young stars at the time so it's 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 a great movie uh drew i'm glad you uh picked it because i just had a lot of fun watching it so thank you yeah no this was an awesome uh rewatch here uh, I agree with Bill that I think I got a lot more out of it watching this time. Uh, coming away with a lot of the more you know <clears throat> subtle elements to it in terms of how it utilizes this whole uh, like docufiction thing, um, I think was uh, super rewarding on its own. And just to go through again, like how impactful like the narrative element of it is. Um, and we as we went over with the librarian scene and like the whole waiting afterwards, there were just a lot of a lot of things from this movie that I think um, stuck with me the first time and will stick with me again this time. Um, and yeah, I mean, I definitely like the mixed format helps with that. Um, it, 
really adds like a good layer of authenticity. Um, it grounds it and then also introduces the whole unreliable narrator thing, which really is um, an awesome feature of this movie. And just utilizing that from different perspectives, I think there's a lot that I would want to see. You know, future movies should be doing this format because there's still a lot of uh, places you can go in terms of uh, even more depth to it, um, even more perspective, sort of like tying into the F is for fake thing, like challenging like the narrative with the like, you know, individual person's truth that you can't necessarily put in a narrative format. Um, I think there's lots of places that you can still explore in this format. And yeah, I'm glad we rewatched it because I think I definitely appreciate it more than the first time. I remember watching the trailer for this movie like before it came out and I was like, oh fuck, this is going to be the coolest, greatest movie of all time. I need to go see this movie. And I never went and saw it. Um, <laughs> and then uh, then Drew wrote his review, and I was like, oh, damn, it's still the coolest movie ever. I got to go see it. And I still <laughs> never went and saw it. Um, and I waited until, like, last year, <laughs> I think, like 2021 or 2020. I don't remember. And I finally watched it and blew me away. It's so good. Um We've talked a lot about the performances, and I just want to reaffirm Evan Peters might be the best actor working in his uh, age group right now. I think his ability to become a chameleon and just do whatever is fantastic. His vocal work is amazing. His body work, uh, like everything that he does is so good. Uh, and I'm I'm coming off of Dahmer, so like Dahmer to this, it, it just night and day. Um, and of course, got to shout out Barry Keoghan. Uh, I'm gonna fight you one day. We're gonna box, but save that for a later date. Uh, Blake Jenner, I love. Um, not the highlight, but I do want to say that I feel like his character was just a straight up douchebag, and he played that perfectly. Yeah, no, I I just love this movie, uh, and I like everyone else has said, like Edward. I think um, moving forward, this needs to be something that more directors explore. I think it's a great way to uh, flesh out the documentary medium and make it more, uh, I don't know, more more visceral. I guess uh, more character driven than just like. I'm going to tell my side of the story. I'm going to tell my side of the story. And then you guys go ahead and figure it out. I, I like the fact that there's actual emotion going on here. Um, so thank you, Drew, for putting it on the rewatch list. Absolutely. Yeah, in a post-Netflix Making a Murderer documentary streaming world where documentaries have fallen in like the most repetitive rut that I think they've ever been in. They can use all the help that they can get. And a movie like this is, you know, such a breath of fresh air, even though it came out four years ago. When I saw it back in 2018, you know, I was, I was myself looking for, I was always looking for like, a movie that was going to change my life or whatever. And so I definitely overhyped this one to all of you. 
<laughs> what affected your affected your enjoyment for sure. Um, and while I don't think it's like the greatest movie of all time, it, it still is like really really good. And I think it's it's got such good performances, and it's able to get so much more emotion out of like a documentary story than you typically see. And there's so much more complexity to the emotion and the people turned characters. And I can hope that, you know, it had influence and that someone out there is, is working on something that's going to push this kind this kind of style and these kinds of ideas forward. I'm not going to say I hold out that much hope because the movie seems to have kind of been, like forgotten kind of fallen out of the discourse a bit i i really enjoy it and i think it's going to you know remain in my in my watch rotation like you said bill nice well said and not to be that guy but i don't think this movie really entered the discourse in the first place it kind of like fell by the wayside when it came out yeah um no, i don't, I don't was... really remember anyone really talking about it, which is sad because i definitely think it deserves some attention but that's why this podcast exists. Bringing it back into discourse. The whole world is listening. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. I also want to say that Blake Jenner mentioned that Blake Jenner is really good in one scene, the scene when he pulls the gun yes. and he starts crying. Mm. I was like, Chaz would start crying in that moment because he is a little baby trying to be a big boy. <laughs> Um, so he does great in that scene and I will not sell him short for like how he performed in that scene. There's a big moment. Everyone's great in this. Well said, but it's time to figure out what we're talking about next week. And we've all gone except for one, one person. It's Jason. So Jason, uh, how, uh, how are we rounding out this, uh, this batch right here? Uh, tell us what movie you picked. Um, You know what? I really I I thought about doing this movie like early October cuz I thought it would fit. And I thought about throwing it out cuz you know we're like in November but I don't know. Be a I I, I feel like uh I feel like it might be a good one. Um It's a frequent frequently referenced movie. Um I don't think any of you have seen it. Um, I I saw it recently. I hope it holds up. Uh, it's called Battle Royale. Uh, it's a little mm. Japanese film uh, about a uh, class of high school students who are pitted against each other. Kind of like uh, Hunger Games, but fuck Suzanne Collins. She stole that idea. But... I'm excited. This is one of those movies where I get it from the library in my big stack and just never get around to watching it. So this is one that's been on my watch list for the longest time. So I'm so glad that we can finally, I can finally watch it and have a reason for it. So thank you to King Liam as always for the great Hail. intro and actual music. Uh, check out Queen with the Night, WT Night on uh, Instagram, Queen with the Night on Facebook. And we'll see you all next week for some kids killing each other. Nothing better than that. I'm just going to leave it like that. Bye-bye.